none of us have to be here. Amen? Amen. Uh, We're going to do something a little different uh, for the next few weeks, and specifically today. As you all know, we finished uh, preaching through the book of 1 Corinthians a couple weeks ago, and last week we preached uh, through the book of Jude, which wasn't hard. It only had uh, 25 verses. Uh, We're going to take a a quick break from from marching through uh, books to uh, really just address the question or a series, the questions Christians hope no one will ask. The questions Christians hope no one will ask. And and as we uh, march through the series, there's two reasons why we're going to go through the series. The first is this, is that the Bible calls us to prepare, uh, to be prepared to share why we believe what we believe. So we're going to be dealing with difficult questions that maybe as a Christian, uh, you or someone you know uh, would get really nervous about if someone was to ask you or put you on front in public uh, something to ask you one of these questions. So we're going to deal through these questions and uh, because we believe that it's important for Christians to be prepared and to be able to ask uh, what some would call tough questions. First Peter 3, 4 through 15 says, if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it, but do this in a gentle and respectful way. And that's our hope that we will begin to explore together as a church uh, apologetics. The word apologetics simply means to defend the faith or key ways in which we can go about answering tough questions to defend the faith. Second reason we're going to go through this series is because the Bible uh, doesn't ask us to adopt a blind faith, but a reasoned faith. Amen? The Bible doesn't ask us to just adopt a blind faith, but a reasoned faith. Uh, The Bible calls us to, to think critically about the claims that it makes, And the Bible doesn't just hide behind simplistic answers. It is a a beautiful book, and we want to make sure that we have a reasoned faith, that we can reason with others, just as Paul and the apostles did when the time came about. So even as we go into the series, I want to point out two resources that I'll be just kind of leaning heavily on, and if you want to pick them up and follow along, you can feel free to do so. One is a book called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. There you go, amen? Uh, that, that go, there goes my creativity right there. I just took the title right from this book. And it's by a guy named Mark Middleberg. Uh, Mark is uh, a you know, very well-selling apologetist, the artist, uh, author who constantly defends the faith. Uh, some of this in here, a couple of the questions we're going to just take right out of this book. In fact, today's question uh, that we'll be answering is, is from a chapter in his book, and I've pretty much just kind of taken his outline in order to address the question. The second is a book called Truth Matters. Uh, the kind of handle for the book is we can have a confident faith in a confusing world. And it again addresses tough qu- questions that uh, Christians uh, may not want someone to ask, okay? So today we're going to do something a little different. We're not going to ground ourselves in one passage, but we're going to kind of uh, just be a, a little all over the place. But I want to start where we're going to end. So we're going to stand for the reading of God's word in Luke chapter 13. Luke chapter 13. And the question that we're going to seek to answer today is how could a good God allow so much evil, pain and suffering? 
or does he even care? How can a good God allow so much evil, pain, and suffering, or does he even care? And again, uh, Luke 13, verses 1 through 5, we're going to end our sermon here, uh, but we'll just start off here as well. What you hold in your hand is not a self-help book. Um, It's not a book that was written to make your life uh, physically rich or wealthy. Um, This is the very word of God written by man, inspired by God, and we want to make sure we read it as such. The matchless, inerrant, wonderful word of God reads, There were some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do not think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans, because they suffered in this way. No, I tell you, but unless you repent you will all likewise perish. Or these 18 on whom the tower of Shalom fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Uh, Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for this opportunity to worship you, Lord, uh, prayerfully in spirit and in truth. We pray, Father God, that you, Lord, would uh, just allow uh, your word to be proclaimed as we answer this question. I pray, Father God, that your spirit, Lord, would uh, confirm in your believers, in your Christians, Father God, that you are Abba, that they, O Lord, and that we, Lord, would just uh, richly dwell on your word and, and amen what is said. And I pray for those today who are here who are wrestling with whether or not to put their faith and trust in Jesus or who are of a a different uh, belief system and religion. I pray, Father God, that you, through your Holy Spirit, would be so gracious to draw them to you and allow a seed that will be fruitful to be planted. Uh, Father, this has just been such a a tough summer and such a tough week for us as a family. And I just intercede on, on behalf of this body, Father God, asking you to have mercy and to have grace, Lord, as many among us um, are grieving, Lord, the loss of someone or even just the horrible circumstances. So even right now, Lord, we continue to pray for the Robinson family, Lord, that you'll strengthen them and encourage them, Father God, uh, for Jaden and Jasmine and Quita and Eddie. I pray, Father God, that you, Lord, will just encourage them through uh, your presence. We pray, Father God, for the Pepper family, Lord, for Darlene and for Malvina and Arlene and the rest of that family, Lord, as they grieve the loss of Brother Anthony, Lord. I pray, Lord, that your ministering angels will come alongside them and give them comfort, Lord. Um, We pray for the Anderson family, Lord, and their son, Lord, as he continues to continue. We pray for all of those, Lord, who got doctor's reports that uh, seem to, 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 to tempt them towards despair or depression, Father God, that your Holy Spirit, Father God, would allow them, Lord, to feel the presence of Jesus. Truly, you are the God of all comfort. You are the God of all comfort, Father. Pray, Father God, that you remove pride from our hearts, that we would be able to listen with humility, that we would not have our mind frazzled about things that really don't matter. Give us you, Lord. Speak through our insecurities, speak through our fears, lead us to repentance and lead us to your Son. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Christians, questions Christians hope no one will ask. 
how a good God allows so much evil, pain, and suffering. Lee Strobel's book, The Case for Faith, reveals a a detailed study that he commissioned through a research team called the Barna Group. And in that study, they asked people, if you could ask God only one question and you knew that he would give you an answer, what would that one question be? And the number one response was this, why is there pain and suffering in the world? That was the number one question that people, if they had an opportunity to ask God, they were asking. And this book that I just promoted and that I'm uh, ripping my outline from Mark Middleberg said that he did a survey as well and he asked people this very same question. And on his list with the demographics that he interviewed, that was the fifth Uh, most important question. So this is a question that is brewing on people's mind. This is a question that people want the answer to. If there truly is a God, if God really does exist, why in the world would he allow there to be so much evil, so much chaos? Why would he just not stop men from walking into a movie theater and opening fire? Why would he not have a system in in place where uh, police brutality would not take place? Why would he allow there to be so much catastrophic damage done by tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes? If there is a God, why is this happening? Well, sadly, so, so, so many people look at what's going on in the world and they look at all of these catastrophes and the chaos and just pure evil that is found in men's heart and they conclude, uh, One of three things. The first thing that they easily and wrongfully conclude is that that there's no God. They say if these things are happening, it is simply because there is no God. In fact, there's a uh, secular writer by the name of Bert uh, Ehrman who was a conservative Christian and went to a conservative seminary, but through throughout his journey, just changed his Christian beliefs and became a, uh, uh, just a person who goes against the faith and writes books against Christianity and tries to disprove uh, Jesus. And, and he had this to say, the God I once believed in was a God who was active in the world. He saved Israelites from slavery. He sent Jesus for the salvation of the world. He answered prayer. He intervened on behalf of his people when they were in desperate need. He was actively involved in my life, but... I can't believe in that God anymore because from what I now see around the world, he does not intervene. So he's concluded that he needs to deny God. The existence of evil, the existence of suffering, the existence of pain in his mind has led him there. But here's the problem. The problem with denying God is that in order to deny God, you have to deny evil itself. You have to deny evil itself because we find objective truth in God. God is the one who sets the standard for morality. God is the one that we look to as Christians and, 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 and we are able to see what is right and what is wrong. So if we are going to do away with God, we then have to do away with evil itself because then the definition of evil is only subjective. We each will pick and choose what is evil and pick and choose what is good. 
As Christians, we believe that there is an objective truth and that God has built into humanity uh, these things, these, these, these morals that cannot be suppressed or that cannot, and that cannot be ignored. An atheist uh, would not ground their notion of good or evil in, in an objective truth. An atheist would uh, try to dance around it or even say that it, it doesn't exist. And here's a quote by a guy by the name of Ted Bundy who was a, a serial killer. He was a rapist, and he raped and killed um, over 30 women that we know of. And here's what he had to say. He said, I learned that all moral judgments are value judgment, that all values are subjective, and that none can be proved to be either right or wrong. I discovered that to become truly free, truly unfettered, I had to become truly uninhibited. And I quickly discovered that the greatest obstacle to my freedom, the greatest block and limitation to it, consists in the insupportable value judgment that I was bound to respect the right of others. Surely you would not, in this age of scientific enlightenment, declare that God or nature has marked some pleasures as moral or good and others as immoral or bad. So how did he come to a place of being able to kill people? He, uh, he just did away with the notion of God, which allowed him to deal away with the notion of objective truth, which allowed him to come to a place that evil and good and morals is really all about preference. It's all about what you prefer. And that each of us may just simply prefer different things. If we deny God, at the end of the day, we're going to end up denying evil. In fact, uh, C.S. Lewis, who was once an atheist, who turned into being a, a great Christian thinker, says, my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. But how had I got to this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe to when, when I called it unjust? Uh, this denial of God or this, 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 this train of thinking that since evil is present, there, there is no God, um, is not a, a train of thought that is being carried on by uh, most what, what they would call intellectual or secular uh, people or atheists today. In fact, that kind of died. That argument died in about uh, in the 1970s when a guy by the name of Alvin Plintiga, a great Christian writer and thinker, began to attack that issue and to show the, the holes in their arguments. Now you'll probably hear someone say, well, uh, God does, uh, you know, the, the problem with evil does not eliminate God, but what it does is it just gives us evidence that there probably is not a God. But they wouldn't say that there is not a God because there is evil. Because at the end of the day, we have shown that, that God is, is that, objective, that objective truth comes from God. That objective truth comes from God. The second thing we can do is we can deny God's goodness. If God is good, at the end of the day, someone would say, there uh, wouldn't be evil. If God is good, there wouldn't be evil. And what we do is we begin to question the goodness of God. This viewpoint suggests that God knows about evil and has the power to vanquish it, but apparently doesn't care enough to deal with it. He lacks the goodness to take action. He just lets 
evil go on. But as Christians, we know that God is good primarily because the Bible says that he is good. The Bible affirms over and over and over again the goodness of God. In Psalm 119, verse 68, we read, You are good, the psalmist says, and what you do is good. Teach me your decree. Psalm 107, verse 1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. James 1 and 7 says, Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of heavens of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So he's a God that is good, and he's a God that's not going to change from being good. Psalm 34 and 8, we all know this. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Nahum 1 and 7, the Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble, and he knows those who take refuge in him. So those who would try to, uh, d- to say that uh, God is uh, that evil exists, therefore they will either, they'll try to say that they'll deny God or they'll deny God's goodness, um, they'll, they'll have a problem with Christians because us as Christians say, no, God is good because his word declares that he's good. He's a good God. He's a faithful God. And then we can simply just reverse the argument back to them. They say God doesn't exist because of evil or God isn't good because of evil. We can can say, yeah, just like there's a problem with evil, there's also a problem with good. Bad things happen, but there's a lot of good things that happen as well. Bad things take place, but there's, there's good things that take place as well. And some may argue that there are more good things that take place than evil things that take place. When we look at the world, and we look at the love and, and beauty and blessings that we see, that is evidence of God's common, common grace. That is evidence of God's goodness. So some would simply deny that there's a God. Others would deny that God is good, and, and then others would deny God's power. Uh, this is a quote from a best-selling book, When Bad Things Happen to Good People, by uh, Rabbi Harold Kushner. He said, God wants the righteous to live peaceful, happy lives, but sometimes even he can't bring about that. It is too difficult even for God to keep cruelty and chaos from claiming their innocent victims. Kushner's tellingly titled one of his chapters in his book, God Can't Do Everything, But He Can Do Some Important Things. And that's what some people say. They say uh, evil exists because God is not all-powerful. He's just sitting in heaven. He wishes that he could help, but he's helpless. There's some things that he just can't do. And this is a, 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 a train of thought that is, is, is going on. And we as Christians, we reject that notion. The Bible says in 1 Chronicles 29, 11 through 12, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom of Lord. And you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. And in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. We believe that God is all powerful. We believe that this world, this universe was created by an all powerful God. We believe, as Paul said in the book of Colossians, that Christ is the one who's holding all things together. We believe that the earth is spinning on an invisible axis because we have a mighty God who is in control. Every atom, every DNA is not only created by God, 
but sustained and kept by it. I love what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verse 26, so clearly the Bible says, and Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God, Sister Pauletta, all things are possible. And that's what we believe as Christians. We believe that there is a God. We believe that God is all-powerful. But we also believe that God allows evil in our world for a season, for a season, and he has a greater purpose. He has a greater purpose. Tim Keller, a uh, uh, wonderful pastor, theologian, says this, just because you can't see or imagine a good reason why God might allow something to happen doesn't mean there can't be one. Again, we see lurking within this supposed hard-nosed skepticism and enormous faith in one's own cognitive facilities. And our minds can't plumb the depths of the universe for good answers for suffering. Well then, there can't be any. This is blind faith of the high order. For the high order. Just because uh, there is evil and there appears uh, to not be an answer of, of why people suffering doesn't mean that there is not an answer, right? Um, we cannot put ourselves in a position of being God and pigeonholing God in, in a corner and saying that since there's evil, uh, there's, there's not a God. When God is uh, true, when there is true, when there is truly evidence of God, and there also is evil. It's also important as Christians that we take time to think about these things. That we don't just rush over them. Uh, because we are going to be met with people who are grounded in their arguments and who believe what they believe. In fact, many high school students, many of our students, when they go off to, to college, they're going to be met with a professor who is going to challenge them and to challenge what, what they've already believed or always heard in church. And we as, as Christians, we have to do better than just tell them, uh, this is what we believe because I told you so. We have to teach them to think through these things critically and to say, no, there are logical, biblical answers to why we believe what we believe. And when you engage the public sphere as a student or as a co-worker, you engage the public sphere with humility, but with answers. And we can't be afraid to think deeply about these things. We can't be. So I just want to give us real quick, as we answer these questions, seven quick thoughts, seven quick lights to help us to answer the question about evil. The first is this, the world is as Jesus predicted. The world is as Jesus predicted. When we talk about evil and suffering and pain, I want to understand that, that Jesus told us that there will be suffering on this side of heaven. <laughs> Jesus said in John 16, 33, I've told you all this that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows. So denying the existence of Jesus, denying the existence of God, uh, because there's evil and suffering, um, doesn't shake us because we know that God prepared us for it. The, the Bible throughout shows us suffering and shows God's people 
suffer. In fact, Peter tells us to not be surprised when trials uh, and, and fiery trials come our way. Uh, there are New Age religions and New Age gurus who would like to prove Jesus wrong uh, by teaching that the, a, a theology or a mindset that says uh, mind over matter. And that simply is, is that we create our own reality and we control our own reality but by having positive thoughts or by speaking things into the atmosphere. Um, and this mindset is directly contradictory to the Bible. And it puts us as human beings on a pedestal and God in a seat. <laughs> when it's the other way around, God is sitting on a holy throne and we are little children in his presence. There's a woman by the name of Deb Boswick who tried to live out this philosophy and she had a big bookstore that was really popular. And in the book, uh, in the bookstore, everything had to do with this kind of new age uh, mindset, this new age teaching. Uh, that we can uh, set our own paths by the way that we think and by the things that we say. And she believed this wholeheartedly until her bookstore burned to the ground. It just burned to the ground. And she shows up at her bookstore and she's thinking, hey, this is not the reality that I created. This is not the way that I decided things were supposed to go. And the story is told that at that moment, she did away with her new age mindset, and she eventually came to put her faith and trust in Jesus. She eventually came to put her faith and trust in our Savior and become a committed Christian. Because at the end of the day, we don't get to decide what happens in life. There's a, a sovereign God who ultimately has the final say, And he's prepared us that suffering is a part of life. Second, is this, evil was not created or caused by God. Evil was not created or caused by God. As we're thinking through this problem of evil suffering and, and pain, we want to know that it was not created or, or caused by God. That God created uh, beings with an ability to uh, make a decision to love or not to love him, to obey or not to obey him. While he is completely sovereign, there is a tension in the Bible that also shows human responsibility and that we, too, have uh, a decision to make. And we, too, can, can make a choice to love God or to reject God. And in the scriptures, we see that Lucifer, Satan, at a one point as a created being, he chose not to love God. Jesus said that he saw Lucifer, he saw Satan fall down from heaven like lightning. Right? Satan chose not to obey God. Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28 are some passages that you can read that theologians uh, would point to. Some theologians would point to as being Lucifer. This pride that was in his heart and his desire to worship himself and not to worship God. But also we see this with Adam and Eve in the garden. We see this as they chose to disobey God, as God told them to not eat of a tree. And they chose to use their own wisdom, and to follow the temptation of Satan and to eat of that tree. So evil existed and evil came into the world because we chose to sin against God. Third, the cause behind most suffering is human. If you're thinking about this issue, you want to know that the cause behind most suffering is human. I read that it is estimated that 90% of the suffering in the world actually comes as a result of other human beings. 
When we think about causes such as wars or genocide or human trafficking or murder or torture, racial discrimination, domestic and sexual abuse, that comes as a result of human beings. So when we say that God should just get rid of evil and that God should just destroy, uh, to, to, to just get rid of suffering, uh, God would have to get rid of humans. Because we are evil. Jeremiah 17 and 9 talks about the human heart and how deceitful it is. It says above everything else, it is, it is the most deceitful instrument there is. And y'all know it's true. A heart that is not kept by God, a heart that has not been regenerated by the Holy Spirit and drawn to, to our Father through Christ Jesus is a heart that is liable to do anything. And a heart that is in Christ, but is not being kept in Christ and is not being nourished in Christ is a heart that can do anything. Amen? Fourth is we, we simply we just live in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. Um, as a result of man's sin, uh, the world has and is under a curse. It's under a curse, and that's why we have so many natural, desi- natural disasters and things going wrong. This uh, April, my wife and I were on a uh, getaway and va- a vacation and, uh, in Florida, and we were with a, another a friend of ours who does missions kind of all over the world. And while we were there out to dinner, his, his phone just started ringing and going crazy uh, because he, he got a call from uh, people telling him that Nepal had suffered a, suffered a drastic earthquake. There was this, this gigantic earthquake and thousands of people died, thousands of people lost their life. Um, hundreds of thousands was displaced from their homes and, and became homeless. And that happens. Earthquakes happen as a result of the fall, as a result of sin. The scripture tells us clearly in, in Romans chapter 8, it says, For the creation waits with eager longings for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who were subjected in hope. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. The earth is having Growing pains, childbirth pains, it is hurting, it is under this curse, it is decaying. And the only thing that's going to save it from this pain is the return of Jesus. So why is there suffering? Why is there so much evil in the world? Well, because human beings exist and are alive. And because nature is cursed. Fifth point of reflection as we think through this question is to know that God will finally judge evil God will finally judge evil one day he is coming back and he is going to bring judgment back there will not always be pain there will not always be suffering he's going to make all things right but the Bible also teaches that that God is patient and long-suffering And that waiting on this judgment, it takes time. 
Exodus 34, 6 and 7 reveals the character of the Lord. It says the Lord passed before him, which is Moses, and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for the thousand, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty? The Lord is gracious. He is patient, but the guilty will not be cleared. Psalm 86 and 15, God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. He is slow to anger. Second Peter 3 and 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. God has not yet come back with judgment upon the earth because there are those he has called, those he has chosen, those whom he is not going to allow to perish, that he is allowing to hear the gospel message. But judgment will come. Peter continues, he says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. God is going to judge evil. He's going to put an end to suffering. One of the most fascinating pictures in the scripture is is found in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21. And in Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 through 21, we see a a different picture of Jesus. We don't see Jesus uh, as we saw him uh, in the the gospel source, his last day, riding on on a donkey, on a mule. We see him riding on a horse. And the scripture says that he is coming back again to wage war against all those who have done evil and against Satan. He's going to wage war against those communistic rulers who have killed millions and millions of people. He's going to wage war against those countries and and those leaders who set themselves up as sovereign and who ignored his voice. Judgment's coming. The sixth is this. As we think through this issue of pain and and suffering and evil, it's to understand that we serve a God who suffered too. We serve a God who suffered too. What a fascinating story. What good news the Bible presents. As we learn about a a king who came to earth and who became incarnate and who became a sufferer, the one who created the world and who owns the world also came into the world to suffer so that you and I could be redeemed, so that you and I could be in a right relationship with God. So even as we suffer and as we go through pain and as we experience personal evil, as we experience uh, people maybe taking advantage of us, as we experience molestation or rape, as we experience these things, know that we serve a God who sympathizes with us. Philippians 2a says that Jesus became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Hebrews 4 and 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who has been tested in every way as we. Jesus 
meets us in our weakness. He sympathizes with us in our weakness. To the fatherless who has suffered maybe because you did not have a father who loved you or maybe you had a parent that was abusive. Uh, Jesus knows what it's like to be in pain. Probably knows what it's like to lose a father as it is uh, suspected that Jesus' own dad died when he was a teenager. When you put your faith in Christ, you put your faith in one who is king, but one who is also a sufferer. He meets you where you are. Isaiah 53 and 3 says that he, listen to this, Jesus was despised and rejected by men. God suffers too. God the Father knows what it's like to lose a son, to lose one who is dear to him. As he crushed him, he crushed him, he allowed him to die on Calvary's cross. So why did God allow evil and suffering to come upon his own son? For a greater purpose, that the lost might be found, that he may save a people unto himself, that those who repent of their sins, who have a, a mental U-turn, who agree with God that they are sinners, and who look to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus by faith, will be saved. Finally, so we want to talk about God. God can bring good out of bad. God can bring good out of bad. We know this verse, church verse, amen? Romans 8, 28, Sunday school verse. God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. Romans 829 reveals what his ultimate purpose is, and that is to conform us to the image of Christ. Every pain, every moment of suffering, every tear, every tense conversation with a spouse, every moment that a child taps on your last nerve, if we let him, God uses that make us more like his son. Here's some, uh, some quick thoughts, really quick thoughts of good things that God uses. One is he can use our, our pain to deepen our character. Romans 5, 3, and 4. You can write that down and read it later. God uses our pain to deepen our character. Two, he can use pain to reshape us as his sons and daughters, Hebrews 12, 10, and 10, 11. Sometimes God disciplines us. He disciplines us because he loves us. And he is reshaping us. He can use our pain to give us more spiritual and eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. Sometimes he allows us to lose earthly things to, to remind us of what matters most. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth with wrath. And, and, and with moth and rust can destroy. But lay up your treasures in heaven. 
He can use our pain to grab our attention and teach us what it means to be loved. I had a pastor friend who one day heard a, a loud banging on his office door, and there was a gentleman who was coming through the side door to come into his office who desperately needed to talk to him. He had never seen a gentleman before, never talked to the gentleman before. But he invited the guy into his office as he just saw how troubled he was. And he began to talk to the guy. He said, man, what's, what's bothering you? And the guy began to share what was bothering him over and over. And he began to share that his fiance had left him and dumped him for another guy. And his life was completely falling apart. And he hated his job. He hated life. And he said, I, I don't know how God can bring any good out of this. And the pastor looked at him. He said, have you ever come to church or been a part of a church? He said, absolutely not. He said, perhaps God has allowed your life to completely fall apart so that you could come and know. Sometimes God allows our lives, he allows everything to completely fall apart so that we can, we can come to know him. That's what the psalmist says, Psalm 73 and 25. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And there is no one on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my strength may fail, but you are the heart and the strength of my life. You are my portion forever. And it's so easy for us to forget that, that God is enough. It's so easy for us to go after other idols and to find other things is more important. But we have a loving father who uses those things to draw us back to himself, to remind us what's important to give us that eternal perspective. So to close with Luke 13, we see Jesus was asked these questions, was asked two questions. It says, there was some present at the very time who told him about the Galileans who blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So there were some Galileans, some, some Jews who had been killed by Pilate, possibly even crucified. And some people approached him and they asked him, some questions. And Jesus says, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Now, sometimes we think that someone is worse off or someone is disobedient because they're suffering or because they're going through a trial. And that's not always the case. John 9 shows us that. It says, no, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the Tower of Shalom fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. So then he points out uh, others who had a tower fall on them and who died. And I love how Jesus redirects people's questions. He redirected their question, and he gave them something else to think about. He says, no, when times of deep suffering and times of deep pain comes upon us and upon other people, we should, we should think about the gospel. We should do a self-inventory and make sure that we're in a right standing with God. We should repent. And that's what... I want to tell the person here who does not have a relationship with Jesus. And as you're grappling with the evil, with the suffering, and with the pain that's going on, and as you look at the news and you see all these events, is, is don't dismiss God, don't dismiss his goodness, don't dismiss his power, but remind yourself that the day of judgment is coming. 
and that one day you'll meet God. One day you'll be in his presence. You'll either know him as father or as judge. One day you'll see Jesus and he will either be the most beautiful person and image that you've ever seen or the most horrific. And trusting is Jesus is not simply just doing better or doing good works. It is just that it is totally believing him. It is accepting his righteousness. It's accepting his sacrifice while declining and rejecting your own. The only thing that makes you right with God is what Jesus has done for you. And I invite you to come into knowing. This time we're going to have a word of prayer. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we want you to consider and to pray to God that that he would save you. Our pastors and our deacons are going to come up in just a moment, and we're going to give an invitation. If you're here today and you simply want to be prayed with or to be prayed for, uh, there are those who will uh, pray with you and, to, and pray for you. If you're not a part of a church, we want to invite you to join a Forest Baptist church. We're not a perfect church, but we are a purchased church. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus, and we're growing to look more and more like him together. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and thank you, Father God, for uh, giving us answers to tough questions. Thank you, Father God, for being a God who is all-powerful and a God who is all-knowing, a God who sees the beginning from the end, and a God who can do a hundred thousand, a hundred million things with one single act. So, Father God, help us to see, Lord, that we are not God, that we are the creature, and that you are the creator. (laughs) that your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways are not our ways. Help us to humble ourselves, Father God, and to to not put you on the the witness stand, Lord, and and to, to badger you, Father God, with questions about your goodness and your faithfulness and your existence, but rather to look at ourselves and to know that none of us deserve anything that we have. I pray, Father God, that you will meet those who are suffering, And that you will remind them, Father God, of your grace. And that you, even though you rule the universe, you suffered as well. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. At this time we're going to actually...